Amen. Well, good morning. You guys can have a seat. If you're here for the first time today, know that we're so glad you're with us. Um, we're going to be jumping right into our, to our text today, into Exodus. Uh, we're going to be looking at the tabernacle. I know this summer we've been going through the back half of this book, uh, and it's often part of Exodus where kind of Hollywood just stops um, and people just start to lose interest because as you read through it, you'll notice that there are a bunch of laws and rules which uh, we've looked at over the past several weeks, as well as what we'll see today, uh, a lot of details about furniture and curtains and lamps and clothes and other, other various items that just seem like a bunch of old ancient artifacts. And about five minutes into reading our passage today, um, I'm sure we're tempted to think, hey, what is this all about? Well, I'm glad you asked, <laughs> uh, because today we're covering about nine, nine, of nine, nine chapters out of 15 uh, of intricate details of the tabernacle, tabernacle and the furniture that goes in it. So today is all about the tabernacle, and God saw it fit uh, to provide 15 chapters in Exodus about the tabernacle. And so for that alone, uh, the tabernacle is important. And if you're an architect or an interior design or uh, maybe you have some sort of construction background, our text today, it's right up your alley because it's kind of like the blueprints uh, or more accurately, the plans and specs of the tabernacle. Uh, and what I'm assuming is probably the case, because I too have been there myself, uh, that this is the part of the Bible that you read and skip over quickly and you feel like you should care because it's in the Bible, but you struggle with it uh, because it feels like reading a book of uh, a book of plans and specs, or maybe something like an instruction manual. I mean, I read it, I've read through it several times this week in preparation for today, and the first time I read it, uh, my first thought within about five minutes was, I am so glad that God didn't give this to me, because I totally would have messed this thing up. Like, I, I guarantee it, because I, you know, I kind of hate to admit this, but I'm the guy that doesn't uh, read the instructions before I put something together. You know, half the fun's kind of figuring it out myself. Um, I'm just more of a big picture guy, and I struggle more with details, um, which is why we as a church hired uh, AJ, who, who, who loves a good plan. He's going to be coming in, in in about two weeks, so praise the Lord for that. Yeah, uh, but all that to say, today we've got a lot of very intricate details in our text, and it's, part of the, it's basically the plans and specs for the tabernacle. Uh, and that word tabernacle, it literally means residence or dwelling place. It's the blueprints for God's tent or house. And like I said, we're covering nine chapters, and so yes, we'll have to make some big jumps. Uh, and no, we're not going to read everything, because it would take me about 30 minutes uh, just to read through the entire, uh, read through all of it quickly. And so today, we're going to kind of zoom out, and we are going to look at the big picture and see why the tabernacle is so important. And yes, we are going to zoom back in and look at some of the details um, so that when you go back and read through it on your own time, uh, you have a good framework to work with. Uh, but what I don't want you to miss in all the details uh, is the big picture and the purpose of the tab tabernacle. Um, this tab tabernacle that covers nine, or 15 chapters of Exodus, it is wildly important. Uh, in fact, the way uh, we think about the tabernacle today is the difference between an ancient artificial artifact religion and an intimate personal relationship with the Lord. Because what we see in this overall picture of this tabernacle is that God came down to his wandering people who were broken and confused, who were tired and weary, who were displaced and directionless, who were in the wilderness. And God, so to speak, he came and he moved into their neighborhood and he came to be with them and he came to live among them. He came to dwell with them and he came to be in their presence. You know, this past week, my kids 
uh, were gone all week, and y'all, I miss them uh, so much. You know, I love being with my wife. I love my kids. I love uh, being with them. I just love being in their presence. You know, I've been able to talk with them um, and, and FaceTime with them, but it's, uh, there's nothing quite like being able to just kind of hug them and just sit next to them. You know, I've been telling my kids all, all week long, I can't wait to hug you and kiss you and then squash you like a bug. And that's just my little way of telling them I'm just going to wrestle with them on the floor. Um, it's great. And FaceTime and technology are great, uh, but kissing and hugging and wrestling a phone on the floor just doesn't do the trick, okay? You know, you want to physically be in their presence, uh, which is what we see God declaring to his people through the instructions of the tabernacle. And so, y'all, yeah, we're going to clear the air here. Um, what we see in all these chapters and details, it's not... If you're confused, if you ever think this, um, this is not inspiration and reason uh, that we should go and decorate our house with nice curtains and lamps. That's not the end goal today, okay? Or maybe even uh, some of you might want to go out to Lowe's, uh, build a large tent in your backyard with goat's hair. Um, that might be fun. That might be a good learning activity for some of the kids. But good luck finding goat hair in Lowe's. So, uh, but that's not the goal for today. But rather, we see, uh, what we see God begin to prepare and show his people is our main idea uh, that we'll see, and it's that God desires to live among his people. God desires to live among his people. God wants to be in their presence. God wants to be close with them and intimate with them. And get this, do you remember the, you remember the story? And if you remember the story, God saw his people. They were wandering in the wilderness. Uh, they were directionless and confused. They were tired and weary. Uh, they, were, uh, they were with their life and you know, their life has been completely turned upside down because they'd been displaced earlier on in the book of Exodus. And we see God today give instructions to his people so that he could come and be in their presence, so that he could dwell with them and live with them and, and tabernacle with them. You know, in John 1.14, it says in the New Testament, Jesus came to dwell among his people. And that word dwell, it's more accurately translated, he came to tabernacle. He came to tabernacle among his people, seeing that Jesus came to tabernacle among us. Y'all, this tabernacle, it points us to Jesus. It points us to the gospel. And so the reason you should pay attention today is because if you're lonely or worried or hopeless or helpless or directionless, like, like maybe you've been in a wilderness or maybe you're coming out of one, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, I hope that you'll see today that the God of the universe, he desires to be in your presence. You know, as James 4, 8 says, he says, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. New City Church, I, I hope that you hear this. I'm going to lay out all my cards right now, okay? Our greatest need today is not a better job. It's not more money. It's not obedient kids. It's not better friends or different life circumstances or to have all of our felt needs met. No, our greatest need today, New City Church, is the presence of God. That is our greatest need. And so if you're here today, and maybe you're not a Christian, I hope that you'll see, maybe for the first time, that God desires to be with you and to know you and to be a part of your life. He wants to come, and He wants to make residence in your own life, in your own heart. And just something that I want to note today before we jump in, y'all, our passage today, it has connections all over the Bible. You know, what we're going to see is just a tip of the iceberg, which means I want, you, I want to ask you uh, to really pay attention today. Because if you're, if you're new to the Bible, there may be things uh, that you don't get or understand, and, and that's okay. Um, and if any point along the way I lose you, I hope that at the very least you'll see that the Bible is one big story that can be mined and studied for a lifetime. 
You know, today uh, we're making a large deposit into understanding a lot about the rest of the Bible. And so all that we're going to see is going to help us to better understand the the Bible. So we're going to do some heavy lifting. You know, again, we've got nine chapters to cover, but I want to point something out about these nine chapters, this specific part of Exodus that I think will help with the amount of Scripture that we have because it's a lot. Um, You know, God in His kindness, He has simplified this for us because we're going to look at chapters 25 to 27 in Exodus and also uh, lump in chapters 35 to 40, those last six chapters, uh, and the next week, we're going uh, to look at chapters 28 to 31, but these seven chapters, um, chapters 25 to 31, are mirrored again at the end of Exodus in chapters 35 to 40. And so in chapters 25 to 31, this first section that we're going to look at today, it's God giving to Moses the instructions for the tabernacle while he's still up on Mount Sinai. And then at the end of Exodus, in chapters 35 to 40, the mirrored section is Moses and the people is actually following the instructions. So it's it's this God, uh, it's it's the people actually making it happen. And so those last six chapters, uh, they're they're executing the plan to build the tabernacle and they were given, uh, that they were given in this first section. Uh, So just to keep it simple, we're gonna look at that first section, chapters 25 to 27, where God gives the instructions to Moses. And so that said, here's an outline for us to work with. Uh, This came almost directly from Christ-centered exposition. This is not my outline. I'm just using it. It was really helpful for me, so I think it'll be helpful for us today. Number one, contribution for the tabernacle, uh, the first nine verses. Uh, And then number two, the details of the tabernacle. And then lastly, number three, he came to dwell among us. And in that second point, um, we're going to have several sub-points to look at more closely all the details of the tabernacle. And so let's go ahead and read those first nine verses uh, in chapters 25, and we'll get, uh, we'll, we'll get into our first point for today. Look at, look at verse 1 in chapter 25. This is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skin, goat skin, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Which leads us to our first point. Number one, contributions, contribution for the tabernacle. You know, right before this section, what we saw uh, last week at the end of chapter 24, God sent Moses back up into the, into the cloud on Mount Sinai. Uh, and then here today, the very first thing God tells Moses, he tells him, whoever's heart moves him, receive from them their contribution. And so God told Moses to receive their contribution, but he said only do it from willing hearts. God did not demand them to give of their resources, but he did call them to give. And in the process, he showed what we talk about often here. Giving and generosity is not solely about giving. It's really more about our hearts. And before the tabernacle was built, God called them to a heart check. Uh, Again, he didn't demand it or make them feel guilty about it. He just said, whoever's heart is willing... And this principle is all throughout the Bible that God loves a cheerful giver, uh, that it's more blessed to give than receive. I mean, just think about it. God wanted to come in and he wanted to dwell and live among them. He wanted to be in their presence, Uh, but it was going to take the generosity of God's people to make it happen. 
God asked them to sacrifice and give uh, and so that God's plan could come to fruition. And everything that we're going to see today, all of God's plans, it could not have happened if God's people weren't generous with their time, talent, and treasures. And what's really interesting about all of this is that the type of resources God asked for, if you remember earlier in Exodus, in the story, it all came from Egypt. Because remember, they were in slavery to, to Pharaoh. But then God defeated Pharaoh, and then the Israelites, they got all of their spoils. And now God is asking them to give some of it back for God's purposes. He asked for, as we saw in our text, gold and silver and bronze, fine yarn and linen, goat's hair and sheepskin, acacia wood, oil, spices, incense, stones. Again, the, the, the Israelites, they didn't have this stuff. They were, remember, they were enslaved. This all came from the Egyptians, that then God, entru- that God entrusted it to them. And now God wants them to build, uh, use those resources to build the tabernacle so that he could come and be in their presence. And so uh, that's what he said in verse 8. Maybe uh, the, uh, this might be the most important part of our passage. God said in verse 8, he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Uh, this is why God wanted to build their tabernacle. He wanted to dwell in their midst, but it was going to take the generosity of God's people to make it happen. Now, let's be clear about this. Our generosity does not give us God's presence today. That's not what that, no, that comes through believing in Jesus Christ alone. However, in terms of our generosity towards God's purposes, the same is true for us because all that we have, all of our time, talents, and resources, all of our resources, God has entrusted it to us to be used for God's purposes. Let me just think about it. The mission of God, the mission of God is to bring God's presence to all people all over the world. And it takes the generosity of God's people to make that happen. You know, we say this every week, generosity, it fuels the mission. And I don't get to say this enough for all those that give so generously here. Thank you. I really mean that. We want people, we want to see people all over Tampa, all over our nation, and all over our world be filled with God's presence through faith in Jesus Christ. And your generosity is fueling that, and we'll continue to do that for many years to come. And so thank you. And so let this just be a simple reminder for us today that God owns all of our resources, all of our time, all of our talents, all of our treasures, and he wants to use them for his purposes to bring God's presence all over the world. And so that said, let's look next at our next point. Number two, the details of the tabernacle. In this section, we're actually going to look at seven different parts of the tabernacle uh, that God describes. If you were to look at your Bible and kind of flip through it, Exodus 25, 26, and 27, you might see seven things as headings. It would be uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the table for the bread, the golden lampstand, the tabernacle structure, the bronze altar, the court of the tabernacle, and the oil for the lamp. Those seven things. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to take about 15 minutes and go through each one of these one by one as an overview. We're not going to read through each one of these line by line like we normally do um, because it would take us a couple hours <laughs> if we did that. Um, you know, maybe one day, not today. But I hope by looking at these and me explaining it and drawing it from other parts of the Bible, uh, this will help you have a f- further understanding of when we do go back and read through this part of Exodus on your own time. And so before you check out here uh, and look at this like an ancient artifact lesson, Uh, that you didn't want to come to, um, like I kind of didn't want to go to when I was a kid as a 12-year-old boy, kind of going through um, an antique shop. I want you to think of this uh, like going to someone's house that has a bunch of unique items, and every unique item, it tells a story. 
And every one of these uh, unique items, at one point, it had a specific purpose, but then it turned into a symbol that points to something greater. Because these aren't just seven different things that have no worth or value. These are seven different things that point us to who God is, that reveal his character, that teach us something about God. And they point us to something greater. In fact, these seven different things, they point us to the gospel. These seven things collectively tell us the story of the Bible. With that said, all these things are going to fall kind of under the umbrella of God's presence. Uh, But each one dials into more specifics about God's character. Uh, we're going to look at these, the first four individually, uh, look at their details and the individual story that they each tell, and then look at the last three all together and see the story they tell collectively. Again, um, y'all hang with me as I explain each of these because I don't want you to miss the story. So let's just say it's story time, okay? Um, let's look at the first one. Number one, the Ark of the Covenant. I've got some pictures for us today. Um, just listen to the details of the Ark of the Covenant as described in Exodus. The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden chest covered in pure gold. It was about four feet long and a little over two feet wide and two feet tall. It had wooden poles covered in gold to hold it and move it because it wasn't to be touched. Uh, and for a top, it had a solid gold slab that was called the mercy seat. And on top of the mercy seat were two cherubims, kind of like these warrior angels. Uh, they each had two wings covering the mercy seat. And inside of this Ark of the Covenant, it held the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone, as well as a few other various things that we see described in the book of Hebrews. In fact, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, it says that God would speak to Moses between these two cherubims that were bowed down, that were on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which again, that top was called the mercy seat. And listen, okay, this Ark of the Covenant, this was the most important piece out of everything that we're going to look at today, because here is where God would meet Moses and speak to him. This is where the presence of God was found. And it was the only thing that was inside a room called, a small room called the Most Holy Place. The Ark, this Ark of the Covenant, it was a big deal. In fact, if someone touched it, touched it, they would die. And what's interesting about the Ark of the Covenant is it was made so that it could move around. So that as God told his people to move, it could also move with him. It symbolized God's presence was with his people. And if you go and read further into the law in the book of Leviticus, we see that once a year, on the Day of Atonement, after a series of blood sacrifices and offerings and burnt incense, the high priest could enter in and be with God and be in God's presence. This was God's mercy shown to his people. And so once a year, God showed mercy God showed forgiveness and kindness, and he gave a pass and a provision for his sinful people to be in his holy presence. And the result of God's mercy was that he would speak to them and that he would commune with them. (laughs) But it would only happen once once a year. And in doing so, God was beginning to prepare his people, and he was giving the precursor to the story for a day when his his mercy would be much greater. But not not just for one day, but for every day. God was beginning to prepare his people for a day when God's presence would move with his people in an even better way. Now, I don't want you to miss this, okay? The fact that we have God's word and that today he speaks to us through his word and through belief in Jesus Christ, today for us, his spirit enters into us and speaks to us and directs us. That is a daily act of mercy from God for us. The provision of God's word for us to come to daily in his spirit that directs and guides us and helps us and encourages us is the evidence of God's mercy in our life. And so if you're here today, 
to hear God's word, if you've come to meet with the Lord, to be built up and exhorted, this is God's mercy on your life. We're going to get back to this. But let's keep moving and look at the next item on the list that God describes. It's kind of, uh, just kind of think like we're going through a tour and we're moving from the most holy place of the tabernacle and kind of going outward, okay? Now, outside of the most holy place in the tabernacle, there was the second, a little bit bigger room where we see the next thing, number two, uh, the table for the bread. The next thing that God describes in the book of Exodus is this table that is also covered in pure gold. Everything in the tabernacle is pure gold. The closer you get to God's presence, the better the materials that you see. And so in essence, kind of the greater the awe that they would have had. But this table also has poles for carrying it. But the table was not the important part. The important part, what was on the table... It came with special plates and dishes and bowls that were also all pure gold. But then it says in chapter 25, verse 30 of Exodus, it says, And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Our section in Exodus, it only gives the details of how uh, they are to build the table and to make it. But it wasn't the table that was important. It was the bread that was on this table called the bread of the presence. This bread was a big deal. In the book of Leviticus, we see that there are 12 loaves on the table, and these 12 loaves symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, showing in essence that every tribe was important, that every tribe had a seat at the table, and the bread on this table showed God's provision for his people, that God would sustain his people, that God would sustain all of his people. And the story that this table and the bread began to tell was that God would provide for his people. That in God's presence was provision, that his provision will sustain us, ultimately showing that Jesus came to be the bread of life for all people. And Jesus provides our daily bread and our daily needs. Yes, our physical bread, but more importantly, our spiritual bread. We could say it this way. Jesus didn't come to only provide nourishment for our stomachs, but to provide nourishment for our souls. And he came to do that for every one of his people, seeing that Jesus is enough for us. Christian, hear that today. Jesus is your provider. He's your sustainer. He cares for you and all peoples all over the world, and he wants to nourish your soul. And there's so much to say, but we have another piece to introduce for our story. And let's kind of continue on with our tour and introduce number three, the golden lampstand. This lampstand that you see, it was also pure gold. It had three stems on each side and in the middle with a base. Uh, it was modeled after a flowering almond tree, uh, and it was understood as a way to remember the tree in the Garden of Eden. And it was held in the same room as the table outside the most holy place. And the purpose of this golden lampstand was to shed light on what's around it. Like That makes sense. That's kind of what light does. But we need to ask, what story does this lampstand begin to tell us? And to that, we see throughout all of Scripture that God is light, that God's presence brings light. And in John chapter 1, we see Jesus referenced multiple times as the light and how Jesus as the light came to shine in the darkness. In essence, God's light as the lampstand shows us his presence and it shows us his holiness. We see in Revelation chapter 2 that when God removes a lampstand at that time, God's presence has departed. Again, when we bring the light of Jesus to a place, we're bringing God's presence to that, to that place. This is God's mission. And we see later in Exodus 27, uh, as the last item we'll look at today, was that the priest were to provide oil continually for this lampstand so the light would not go out. 
Um, showing again how God has always been and always will be the light of the world. The, you know, this lampstand, it brought light to the table in front of what we just saw, uh, the, the table of the presence, uh, which you know, it symbolized God's people and his provision for his people. And later in the book of Matthew, Jesus then passes that responsibility to his people to be the light of the world. But we'll come back to that again. Seeing, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg here. Um, but we've got more items to introduce for our story. Again, this first item was the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the most holy place inside the tabernacle. Uh, the next two items that were in the room outside of the, uh, in, in the next room, in the, the first room in the tabernacle, it was the table of the bread of the presence and the lampstand. And then what comes up next on our tour is the tabernacle structure. Like this is how it was actually made. Over these next 36 verses in chapters 26 of Exodus, God gives intricate details for the curtains, frames, and bars that would, be, that would make up the tabernacle. And so when you hear tabernacle with curtains, don't think like window curtains. That's not what they're talking about. Think like a really big tent, kind of like the one we have outside, except maybe four or five of them lined up together, kind of put together in a line, and uh, maybe slightly wider and taller. It was 15 feet tall. Uh, 15 feet wide and 45 feet long uh, with very sturdy bars and beams all around it, both vertically and horizontally so it was secure and covered four layers of cloth and animal skin for a roof with really nice fancy curtains all around it. That's kind of what all of, all of this chapter is describing it. And at the back end of the tabernacle, inside of the tent, in a separate room, like we said, it was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant stayed all by itself. And inside this larger front room, like we said, was the lampstand, the bread of the presence, and also the altar of incense, which is described later in Exodus. And what we see about this tabernacle tent as a whole is that this tent, it provided a safe space for God's people to come and be with God. It was a place where God would dwell, where the Ark of the Covenant was held. It symbolized the way for man to be in the presence of God, much like they were in the Garden of Eden, where God and man could dwell together, could come together. And I want you to think about these first four as a whole. Kind of like all that's in this tabernacle uh, as, as a larger piece of the story, and, and think of it as about everything that's inside of it, like God's presence and holiness and a reminder of God's provision and awe and His worthiness and glory, where God's mercy was shown, where God spoke to His people, where we see a light that isn't to go out. And in some ways, I want you to follow me here, this was like a little mini heaven on earth. It was taking them back and it was reminding them of their time in the Garden of Eden when God and man had a relationship together because it was a safe space for God to relate and commune with his people, for God's people to come and to be in his presence because that's who God is. God wants a relationship with his people and he wants to speak with them and be close with them and lead them and guide them and direct them and he wants to show mercy to his people. And let's not forget that it could only happen once a year inside of this room. They could only get into that most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant resided once a year on a day called Yom Kippur. And it was set apart, it was, it was set apart only for the high priest, who he himself was already set apart from everybody else. I mean, just imagine with me. Just imagine the curiosity that everybody else had to have to get in there to that most holy place and experience God's holiness, to know his closeness and his nearness, and to hear his voice. I don't know about you, but if it were me, I'd be asking all sorts of questions. Like, what was it like? Like, what did God look like? What did God say? 
And I just imagine that on that day, every worry and fear and heartache and pain and sadness and stress that that one high priest had, it could all go away. Because it would be forgotten because the high priest was in the presence of God and he was hearing from God. Because as you may know, there's something very reassuring when someone you know and love and trust tells you, hey, everything's going to be okay. When God says, hey, I'm still here, that's very reassuring. And on that day, that one day, I'd like to imagine that one high priest got a, a small glimpse into heaven. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Just to get in there and experience that? I mean, I, I kind of think it would be. But Christian, hear this. Today what we have is better. It's better. We shouldn't be jealous of them uh, to get into there, to be in the most holy place. They would have been jealous of us. Because God's presence for us today, it isn't confined to a single room for one person on one day. God's presence today is put inside of his people and it moves and it lives wherever we go. We have 24 access, 24-7 access to God's presence. We're going to come back to this, but let's keep moving and look at the last three real quick and make some connections as a whole because these last three are all outside of the tabernacle. The next, introdu- the next piece to introduce in our story on our tour, as we see described in Exodus, is, uh, is number five, the bronze altar. And around the tabernacle was a large fence, which we'll kind of get to in a little bit. Uh, and that fence created what was called the outer courtyard. It was a courtyard around the tabernacle with one way in and one way out. But this bronze altar, this bronze altar that we see here, as they enter into the courtyard, would have been the very first thing they saw straight ahead of them, right through the gate. It was a massive seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot by four foot tall bronze altar to make sacrifices. It was bronze because it wasn't inside of the tabernacle. And it too, it had poles to carry it because it too, it was also to be mobile. And this massive altar was what was kept between the entrance and the tabernacle. I mean, as soon as they walked into the courtyard, this giant sacrificing altar was between them and God's presence. There was a big, massive gap between the altar and God's presence. And on this altar, a sacrifice was to be made before they entered the tabernacle. And then continuing to work our way out further away from God's presence, we then see described in Exodus uh, what we've also discussed briefly, uh, number six, the court of the tabernacle. I know we've already described some of this. It was a large fence. It was made with curtains of, and metal pillars and nice metals, uh, but kind of lesser metals uh, than, the, than the tabernacle. And it created about a 10,000 square foot courtyard. And what this did was create another barrier from, out, from the outside world to the holiness and reverence that was to be held inside the courtyard. I mean, as soon as they entered the gate of the courtyard, as soon as they entered in that gate, it was understood that they were stepping onto holy ground, leading us to our Last item, number seven, the oil for the lamp. And I don't have uh, a picture of oil for us today. I don't know how it would have done. I would guess it would have looked like water maybe. I don't know. Sorry. You guys, you guys know what oil looks like. But the reason they wanted the oil for the lamp, as we said earlier, was so that the light from the lamp could continue to burn. In fact, Exodus tells us God appointed Aaron and his son to tend the lamp from morning to evening. Chapter 27 and verse 21, it says, about this light, the lamp, this is what it says, it shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. 
And like I said, <laughs> these seven different things, all, the, all these seven different things, they tell us a story. In fact, they tell us a story about you and me and, and the rest of the world. And, and if at any point along the way, if I've lost you uh, in some of these details describing these seven different things, like the Ark of the Covenant and the table for the bread, the lampstand, the tabernacle structure, and the bronze altar, and the oil for the lamp, I'm inviting you to check back in, okay? Um, because I want you, I want, because all of these things, they collectively tell a story about each of our lives today. The, all of these seemingly strange details of the tabernacle, God takes these details and he slowly, over throughout God's word, he slowly unfolds a much greater story. And it's the story that God's word tells us. That we are in essence outside of that fence and we are separated from God's presence. Where inside the fence is holy ground, and where outside the fence is unholy ground, where sin and a lot of mess, it happens outside of that fence. And what we know to be true that we see throughout the rest of the Bible is that every person on this planet, because of our sin nature, is left outside of that fence. And whether we know it or not, every longing we have Every longing we have is to get inside of that fence, to get inside of that tabernacle, and to be in the presence of God because God created us to be in His presence and to know Him and to hear from Him and to worship Him. But the problem is, metaphorically speaking, we're outside of that fence. And we can't get past the fence because of our sin because we're not holy. In essence, we've been deemed an outcast. And even if even if we could get inside of that fence, we would never be able to enter the most holy place where God dwells because only a high priest could do that. And at best, he could only do that once a year. And this is the first part of that story of God's word. Right, this is the first part of the gospel. Our sin, it separates us from God. And the reality is, every day, the whole world feels this, knows this, and see this. In fact, maybe you today know that and feel that and see that and experience that. Every day, in some way, we all experience pain and heartache and trouble and strife and brokenness and stress and loneliness and confusion. We all do because that's what life is like outside of the fence apart from God's presence and because our world is broken. But do you know what our good news is today? Do you know what our text points us to? It points us to the rest of the gospel because if you remember in Exodus, what was between the presence of God and the gate entrance was that large bronze altar. It was a place to sacrifice so that God's people could get to the tabernacle. And what this points us to and reminds us of is the cross of Jesus Christ where God's son, Jesus, he became our sacrifice so that we can then enter into God's presence. Except he was sacrificed on a wooden cross, not an altar covered in precious metals. The only metal that was found on the cross were the nails that were driven to his hands and feet. And just like the bronze altar bridged the gap between God's presence and God's people, Jesus' death on the cross became the eternal sacrifice once and for all that bridged the gap between us and God. If we want to get to God, we have to go through Jesus Christ. That is the only way. And so listen, if you haven't trusted in Jesus today, Trust Him. Trust in Jesus today. You need, we need Jesus in order to get to God. Brothers and sisters, this is good news for us today. Jesus is our sufficient sacrifice. Through Jesus, we can enter into God's presence. And as we see in Hebrews chapter 9, Jesus' death on the cross was a once and for all sacrifice. It's eternally sufficient for everyone who calls on Jesus' name. 
So if you have not yet trusted in Jesus, trust him today. And today, you can enter into God's presence. Christian, this is good news for you today. Because right now, right now, if you have trusted in Christ, we are literally in the presence of God. <laughs> like right now, we are in God's presence. Like he is with us and among us and speaking to each of us in our hearts and souls. And he's around us. We don't have to fight and jump through a bunch of hoops to get into his presence. We are already in his presence. This is not a once-a-year thing for the super-Christians. This is not a, if we sin less than we did yesterday, we can maybe get into God's presence. This is not like if we go through all the right hoops, say all the right things, serve at every event, show up at all the Bible studies, and then you get into God's presence. No. It's through trusting in Jesus that brings us into God's presence. But you know what, you know what happens to us? You know what happens to me all the time throughout my day? We just forget that we're in the presence of God. We believe lies that make us think that we're outside of that fence because our world is still broken. We still experience the tragedy of that. We can often feel like we're outside of the fence as if God's presence has left us. But God's word, don't miss this, God's word tells us and confirms for us that he will never leave us or forsake us. That he is always with us until the very end of the age. That's what we see in Matthew 28. We may not, have, we may not always see him and feel him, like, uh, seeming like we've been removed from him, but don't be fooled. He does not leave our side. Do you know what the major difference is between the presence, the process of the tabernacle to get to God in the gospel? In the tabernacle, in Exodus, it was up to man to get to God. But in the gospel, God saw us outside the fence, and he came to get us, and he dragged us to him, and he promised to lock arms with us and to never let us go. We don't first go to him. No, he came to us. Number three, he came to dwell among us. Brothers and sisters, New City Church, today, if you are in Christ, you are no longer outside of that fence. Because Jesus came to rescue you, and he has drugged you and dragged you and brought you to himself. In essence, Jesus was in the most holy place, sitting next to God the Father in heaven, and he left his throne to bring mercy to all people who are outside of the fence, to all people all over the world. In the gospel, Jesus brings everything inside of the tabernacle to everyone outside of the tabernacle. Jesus brings God's presence to the dirty and the unclean and the unholy that were outside of the fence. New City Church, God came to you and me. He did not just come to us, but he came to live inside of us and to speak with us and to bring light to us and to give us daily provision for our souls. He came to bring the bread of life to us and for us to nourish our souls. New City Church, again, every single day we hear lies that make us believe we're outside of the fence, separated from God's presence. But again, God, through his word, has told us that those who believe in Jesus, he will never leave us or forsake us. We talk about this a lot here at New City. The Spirit of God is living inside of us. It doesn't, it, you know, he doesn't move around with us in the Ark of the Covenant anymore. Uh, no, he has come to make his residence now in our hearts He's come to make his residence inside of us, and his spirit empowers us. And so don't believe the lie that we are outside of the fence, isolated from God. God has promised he will be with us always. 
And it's not that he comes and goes and disappears from us. We just forget it or we lose sight of it. We daily believe the lies that the world tells us because we all, every day, we all have a war going on in our mind that make us feel or believe that we are alone or powerless, that God is not enough or that we're not acceptable or that we're not enough or that we don't have a purpose or we don't have a mission from God. I know this. We all have dark moments and dark seasons where it feels like we're in a wilderness, just like God's people were in Exodus. Again, may we not forget that God has come to live among us in our wilderness. He came to make residence with us in the wilderness. I mean, literally right now, we are in the presence of God who gives peace and joy and satisfaction and who illuminates our hearts and he nourishes our souls. I mean, right now, if we have trusted in Jesus, God is with us. Y'all, there are so many connections that we can make from our passage today to the New Testament and into our lives. I mean, the, the book of the Gospels, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are full of them. The book of Hebrews and Romans are full of them. I mean, these details that we've looked at today are just the tip of the iceberg that point us to God's grand story. But the one that I want to close on today, to end our time, is something we've, we've brought up twice already. It's the idea of light. You know, that we see in the tabernacle, with, with kind of with the lampstand and the oil. Because if you remember, that oil was brought so that the light would never go out. We see in the book of John, Jesus came to be the light of the world. But what's interesting, you know, Jesus also said in Matthew 5.14, speaking to his disciple, he said, you are the light of the world. Jesus came to be the light of the world, and then the light of the world came to live inside of his people, making those who believe in Jesus also the light of the world. New City Church, there are people in each of our lives that are outside of the fence that are hurting and broken and torn and confused and searching and what they need. Their greatest need is the presence of God in their life. You know what, Christian? We're no different. Because I said at the beginning of our time, our greatest need is the presence of God in our life. When we get anxious or fearful or lonely or confused or directionless or hurting or weary or apathetic and when we're fighting sin, Christian, our remedy is the presence of God. We sin and we get fearful and aimless and weary because we lose sight of God's presence. Christian, come to the throne of God today and sit in his presence and worship him and gaze upon his glory and be filled with the spirit of God as, his God's, word, as God's word tells us to do and be warmed by his presence. And just like we see in the book of Acts, be filled with the spirit and out of the overflow, take it to others around you. This is God's plan for his people to go out into the world and bring the overwhelming goodness of God to a hurting world to proclaim the gospel so that they can too enter into his presence and be filled with everlasting joy. And so as a parting question, who is it in your life that is outside of the fence that's searching and broken and longing to be with God? And will you bring the light of the gospel to them? Will you bring God's presence to them? New City Church, we have been praying for a revival, a revival of our souls, a revival in our city, and a revival in our world. And hear me loud and clear on this. It absolutely demands the presence of God. Our souls and our city and our world, all peoples all over the world, desperately needs God's presence. Will we take it to Him? Who is it that God may have you bring God's presence to? 
by bringing the gospel to them. Let's pray. God, you're good to us by making a way for us to be in your presence all the time. God, we're thankful for the cross of Christ that bridges the gap between being outside of your presence and inside of your presence. Father, we pray that there, if there is anybody inside of this room or maybe watching or line or listening, that if they have not put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would bring your presence into their heart and light, and that they would call out to Jesus right now. Right now. God, would you do a mighty work in our presence? We know that you're here. We know that you're moving and you're living and you're active. Father, we love you. We're thankful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.